raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. And we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is with me, as always. Apologies. Been a little bit longer than I would like in between these off-season pods. We're going to continue to stick to one a week, but some scheduling logistics has pushed us back a little bit later this week, as expected. Uh, pretty quiet start to the offseason for the Colts, honestly. They'd probably fall on the, one of the quieter offseason teams here so far. Uh, today's podcast, just want to focus kind of on maybe a little bit more logistical offseason items. You know, go over the list of free agents. We'll take an early look at next year's opponents. Um, I do think both of those areas look a lot different than they do on an annual basis, and they certainly look a lot different than what you had last year. I think the schedule is tougher. Uh, certainly better quarterback play. Uh, than you had last year. Uh, and then free agency-wise, I, I cannot recall a free agency class that has had this many names. I mean, Eddie, I seem to remember one of the years, probably a couple of years ago, I sat here and thought to myself, is there one free agent you'd stand on a table for? And, and this year, you could probably stand on a table for four of them. And I even think there's like a second tier of free agents that no one's talking about that I'm like, wait, those guys played pretty quality football. Uh, for the Colts, or, or have played pretty quali- uh, quality football for the Colts as well. So uh, we'll get into that. Uh, as always, off-season questions, we'll sprinkle in a few throughout the weeks, um, ones that are very, you know, m- much more pertinent. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll certainly key in on that. So um, a little bit earlier in the pods. Eddie Garrison, how you doing, man? Doing well. Just uh, glad to be back in the studio talking about some Colts football a little bit and Getting back to a little bit of a normal routine with you. Yes. Uh, again, offseason wise, if you're looking at kind of dates to keep an eye on, um, you know, we are now less than a month away from the franchise tag a window opening up. That'll be February 20th. So um, we are less than what? Is that four weeks away? One, two, three, four. Yeah, it would have been four weeks ago yesterday. Uh, that's probably the first big item of note. The combine, of course, will follow uh, the weekend or the week after that. Uh, and then the franchise tag window is a two-week period that ends on March 5th and then free agency March 13th. So I still think, Eddie, we could get some dominoes from a head coaching standpoint. You know, I, I'm not 1,000% sold on the Colts having, like, full staff retention by any means this season. And, you know, as we record this late on Wednesday morning, again, we are, um, you know, still at a point of – what, five head coach openings, I believe is correct. Brian Callahan with Tennessee, you know, a guy that I liked during last year's cycle, you know, the quarterback background of Burrow and Derek Carr and Peyton Manning and Matthew Stafford is pretty good. So um, I get, really, I get a lot why um, Tennessee decided to go that route there um, for their a uh, new head coach when you consider the Will Levis development that is paramount for them there. So, again, some dominoes could happen uh, with coaching staffs around the league as they get filled. Um, but, yeah, that's about it, really. Uh, news item-wise, again, it's been quiet here for the Colts. Not a bad thing. Um, and, yeah. Um, I want to start here before we get into the opponents. I know it's something we talked about on our last podcast regarding the health of Jim Irsay. I know we have fans that are not only here within Indiana and, and Indianapolis, but around 
the United States and certainly around the world as well that may not be aware of what's going on with Jim right now? Do you have any update on the status or health of the Colts owner? Yeah, I mean, nothing official on that front. I'll probably stick by kind of something that I said on last week's podcast. I think we might have had one um, Ursay-related question. Maybe we didn't for uh, this week's pod, but um, I mean... Yeah, the the I I know it sounds cliche, but I mean thoughts and prayers are with Jim Mercy and his family. I mean, I think Eddie and you know if you just want to read tea leaves, when a organization stands sends out a press release of severe respiratory illness, severe I would say is a big word there. Um, you know I've got friends and 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 you know, friends parents that are of a similar age of Jim Mercy that certainly don't have the same sort of health. You know concerns that Jim has had over the years. When you're in your mid 60s and you have a severe respiratory illness this time of year, th- that's a big deal. And you know when was that last update? Was that about two weeks ago from the Colts? Um, well, there was one issued after the TMZ report, which I think was last week, correct? Right, and just kind of stood by the first yeah. statement there. And the first statement was released. I think it was on on the Tuesday after the season ended. So. Um, Again, speculation is abound, and I would just say that Jim and his family uh, need your thoughts, need your prayers there, and uh, when something official is needed to be passed along, we'll certainly do that. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of forget how much we got into last week. I guess I'll just reiterate, you know, Jim Mersey is one of the more passionate humans I've ever come across, certainly about his football team. I would say more so than many, if not any, or not all of the owners out there in the league. Uh, Eddie, that was the biggest home game this stadium has had in nine years, that game against the Texans. And for Jim Mersey to have not been seen at that game is is, is jarring, frankly. Um, you know, I had heard some whispers around Christmas of, of him dealing with something, and all of a sudden when I didn't see him at the Raiders game and then not at that Texans game, I'm like, oh my, this is serious. So... Um, yeah, thinking about the Ursay family and, and uh, Carly and Casey and, and, and Kalen and everybody, Pete Ward and everybody else involved with uh, with the Colts organization. With that being said, let's take a look now at the 2024 opponents for the Indianapolis Colts. I know we did this when it was first released, but here are the home opponents for the Colts. Obviously, the divisional teams. Initially, the Steelers, the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, the Detroit Lions, the Chicago Bears will all be coming to Lucas Oil Stadium, and the Indianapolis Colts will be going to the divisional opponents, the New York Giants, the New York Jets, the New England Patriots, the Green Bay Packers, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Denver Broncos. What are your overall thoughts? Tougher. Much tougher. Especially at home, Eddie. Um, you know, you only play one double-digit win team from last season on the road. You got nine road games, and only one of those teams won double-digit games last season. Eddie, of your eight home games, five of the eight are against double-digit win teams. You know, in your own building, you're going to get C.J. Stroud. You're going to get Josh Allen. You're going to get Trevor Lawrence. You're going to get Jared Goff. You're going to get Tua. Um, So that schedule at home, again, really stands out to me. You know, from a traveling standpoint, nothing too abundant. What, Denver's the longest road trip? So you don't have any road trips to the Pacific time zone, and I would say in all likelihood you're not playing an international game. Um, honestly, one thing that stands out about the road schedule is 
and boy, players have got to hate this. How about two trips to MetLife in one stadium? Talk oh about boy. that turf. Mm-hmm. You know, you hate to go down that path too early, but um, that is not ideal with playing the Jets and the Giants both on the road. So, yeah, AFC East, NFC North, those are your uh, divisional matchups for this season. Your crossover games based off finishing third in the division will be the Giants, Broncos, and Steelers. And I was thinking about this as the playoffs unfolded, Eddie. Um, of the eight teams we just saw play in the divisional round, uh, you're going to face four of those quarterbacks in five games in total. C.J. Stroud, of course, being two of them. And then Jared Goff, Josh Allen, and Jordan Love. So certainly, I know it doesn't have Mahomes or it doesn't have Herbert or it doesn't have Burrow or Lamar, but still, I think from a quarterback standpoint, um, it is a pretty, pretty juicy schedule. Certainly much juicier than what you had this past season. I was doing a story a couple weeks ago and was kind of getting into a quarterback rabbit hole of just schedule-wise and what you faced last year compared to this year. Eddie, last year I think you faced, of the 17 games you played, I want to say 10 of them were against rookie or backup quarterbacks. And I think of like the top 15 passers, I want to say. I think you had maybe two of the 15 in this coming season, you'll play five of the 15. So, again, you know, injuries are going to happen, certainly, but much, much more difficult schedule um, than, you know, what you um, what you faced this past year. So, uh, that is a little look. Obviously, we'll get in May. You know, we'll get some hardcore dates slotted in there. But I think just from an opponent's standpoint, it is much more difficult than you had this past season. Totally agree with you. Me and um, one of our listeners, Alec, have talked about going to Lambeau Field. I could not encourage it more. I was there in 2016, Eddie. Um, absolutely loved the vibe. Of Green- it was a beautiful, beautiful day. I think it was a November day. I want to say it was Jordan Todman took the opening kickoff mm-hmm. back for a touchdown. Luck threw a couple picks, I want to say, early in that game. But the Colts won that. Honestly, one of the better regular season wins of the Pagano era. But... Again, it was a uh, it's an awesome place. You know, the, there's no corporate bullshit with it, really. You know, at times I feel like you get into these you know modern stadiums, arenas, and it's very corporate. And I get it. There's obviously a hefty dollar and a hefty price tag that comes to being in those stadiums. But and you know, a lot of it is okay, much more for the fan experience or just the entertainment experience, I should say. Of no, I want to bring clients to this game, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I get that top dollar probably pays, but. I just love the old school feel to what Lambeau had to offer. It was such a tight tunnel. I remember that as well. It was um, the road locker or the visiting locker room out onto the field was a very, very um, small environment there. So, yes, I would say do it, Eddie. I cannot agree more on that. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. It's the uh, mecca of NFL stadiums for sure. 
Um, if you have nothing else to add, let's move on to the Colts 2024 free agent list. Obviously, the biggest name on this list, Michael Pittman Jr. You can't uh, discredit either the names of Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman on that list either. No, and and again, I, I have said all along, Eddie will continue to say it as we're a month and a half away from free agency beginning. Um, I think it's the most notable group of free agents. And let's just run down the offensive ones to begin with here. Um, and just kind of in order by position. Gardner Minshew, Zach Moss, at wideout, Michael Pittman Jr., Isaiah McKenzie, and Jawan Winfrey. And then in the O-line, just one. That would be Danny Pinter. You know, Minshew, I think we all need to be realistic about expectations for a backup quarterback. Um, my kind of 2024 QB vision is this. Resign a guy of Minshew's ilk, you know, some somebody of that sort of resume. I think that's critically important for a team that has expectations as a playoff team. You got to survive any moments without your starter. And I also think it's important when, you know, you can't ignore the injuries that Anthony Richardson suffered this past year. I also think it's important come round five or six, Eddie, to draft a quarterback. Um, I value Shane Steichen's opinion immensely in that realm. And I think getting him a quarterback that he has identified that has some traits that he likes makes a lot of sense. Uh, my quarterback opinion has probably changed over the years to where I now think, you know, richer investments, even in the backup to third string parts, are needed. Um, Sam Ellinger is still under contract, so it's not like you're in a uber hurry to move on. Um, you know, Kellen Mond, I know, is still in the roster as well. So, um, you know, quantity-wise, you could probably get by, but that's how I would look at that. Um, again, I think Minshew, the fact that he knows Steichen, has plenty of familiarity with Anthony Richardson is important, and I look at it as you need a backup that gives you a chance to win a game via a coin flip, and that's Minshew, and at the same time, you need one to grow and groom and develop, and that's where I kind of look at the draft pick route there. So I do think Minshew is going to have suitors. I do think he's going to have opportunities for better playing time, and you know that could end up being the end-all, be-all of his time here in Indy. But I don't know. I'm a little bit more to value real in-game experience, been there, done that, bright lights aren't too bright compared to like same quarterback stylistically. Mm-hmm. I know some people differ. I know Tyler Huntley has kind of been a popular name. People have thrown out there. And you know, even if you look at his record in Baltimore with a very similar offense, very similar style quarterback, he hasn't had great success when he's gone in there. So, um, I would resign Minshew if he wants to come back. Um, you know, Zach Moss. I, Eddie, it's kind of fascinating to me how the Moss free agency is going to play out. The running back class for twenty twenty four is is very deep. It's Derrick Henry. It's Josh Jacobs. It's Tony Pollard. It's you know Saquon Barkley. It's Austin Eckler. I mean, it's a loaded, loaded group. And I guess how do you kind of want the backup running back? Do you view it and say, hey, Jonathan Taylor's getting up there a little bit, and you need more of that bell cow potential as an insurance policy as your backup? Or do you view it and say, no, 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 I think you want a little bit more spice in that backfield? Again, think of a little Tyler Goodson. I know they still have Evan Hall. So similar to Minshew, I just kind of view Moss as going to have better opportunities elsewhere slash Again, backup running backs, there's a part of me that's like, man, don't they kind of grow on trees? I know it's not necessarily 
maybe the most accurate statement in explaining Zach Moss' season because he certainly helped you out in some very important moments, but that's kind of where I'm at with backup running back. So I'm not married to a return of Moss, but again, you are still going to uh, probably um, you know have to go down that 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 path with him there. So um, I'll be curious to see what the market looks like for Moss. You know, he's probably the sixth or seventh most accomplished running back mm-hmm. in this free agency class, but he had a really nice year, and he's going to obviously command a much cheaper deal. You would think than some of those others out there. Uh, wide out wise, you guys know how I feel about Pittman. He's the number one here, and that's all that matters, really. When you have Anthony Richardson, like you, you got to focus on what you've got on your own depth chart, and he is a consistent, reliable presence. He checks everything you want off the field as well. Um, he's not an all-pro wideout, but again, when you have a young quarterback like Richardson, you cannot, cannot, cannot sacrifice and play the cheap game and you know shop down the aisle where. You know, they've got all the fancy little signs that say 50% off and buy one, get one free. No, no, no. You can't play that game. You can't play it. You can't play it. So I am adamant about that. 10 for 10. No matter what. 10 for 10. That is a hell of a deal. Uh, McKenzie, win free. Yeah. I I guess it is a little confusing to me how they cut Tony Brown, but they kept Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, I think it brings back Danny Pinter. And I kind of look at that Andy. Or Andy. Oh, there we go. I might need to do the 10 for 10 Reese's yeah. um, after that comment there. Apologies to Eddie Garrison, Andy Sweeney, my morning uh, co-host on the wake-up call. But, you know, Pinter, I kind of view it in like a Jack Muhort. Remember like the Muhort one year? Yeah. Tyquan Lewis mm-hmm. was on this list. They've done a couple times. Like that's kind of how I look at Pinter. I, I've always been intrigued by Pinter. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of my... LaRaven Clark. You know, in-state bias. Yeah, LaRaven Clark is a name. Um you know, bring him in, camp body. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think he would have made the team. I, I don't want to act like, you know, he was certainly 1,000% going to be that sixth guy, but I do think he was kind of trending in that way before the season-ending injury. Um, again, another guy this staff absolutely loves, and the previous staff did as well. So I would bring back Pinter on a very cheap one-year deal. Anything on the offensive free agents, Eddie Garrison, that stand out to you? agree disagree with that group i agree with everything you said um i wouldn't want to bring i mean i understand zach moss and jonathan taylor were a good pair um to have just as an insurance policy but with the way running backs you're able to find running backs in the draft now you still have tyler goodson evan hole and trey sermon who have all produced for you in some in some capacity it doesn't make sense to use any of that cap space that you have around seventy million towards um, six to eight million for a backup running back, I feel like those funds can be allocated elsewhere. But I like your thought and your reasoning on bringing back Tyquan Lewis because I thought Tyquan Lewis had a really really good year coming off um, was it torn patella again? Yeah, and we'll get into the defensive free agents here in just a second. I would say one thing to add that you just brought up that I want to get to offensively before we move on. You know, you look at Moss and you look at Minshew. They're they're going to be on the higher wage scale of backup players at their respective spots. So to your point, you know how frugal are you going to be? Where's your fiscal situation like? I do think that is something that is really really important to keep an eye on. And um, they might not draw the same sort of price tag as some other guys, but if you add that up, 
you know, Minshew at whatever. And I'm just throwing out numbers here. If Minshew is at, you know, six million a year and Moss is at five million a year, you know, that's combined eleven million if you took the backup QB and backup running back and you combined it out to be, you know, four million or five million, that gives you another handful to play with. Will that be something that could be at play here? Um, all right, defensively, you brought up Tyquan Lewis. The D-line's got a couple of names. Jannard Avery, Jake Martin, Taven Bryant, Grover Stewart. Nobody at linebacker in the secondary, the two big ones, Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman. And don't forget about Rigoberto Sanchez as well. Uh, D-line-wise, I guess we'll just go in order. I actually thought Jannard Avery had a few moments during training camp where I thought he was going to make the football team. Uh, played in the league for a while, 62 career games. How about Jake Martin? What do you remember about Jake Martin's season, Eddie? Um, Absolutely nothing. Did everybody have a Jake Martin in their third grade class back in the day? I did, growing up, all the way through high school. Shout out to the Decatur product, Jake Martin there. How about <laughs> this Jake Martin played more snaps than Anthony Richardson this year? That's wild. 191 defensive snaps for Jacob Jake Martin. He did have two sacks. Uh, Taven Bryant obviously was kind of the main backup there. I, I There were moments I'm kind of like, eh. But then there are moments of like, who else with him? You know, Grover Stewart, Eddie is hovering that age 30. Um, but boy, has he been durable. And... You know, and productive. Yes, and and productive. And you don't use the word productive with a lot of defensive tackles. You know, you can use, oh, they occupy space and they do their job and they absorb blockers. But, yes, I mean, productive is the word to use. And that's why I found so difficult about the big four free agents. Eddie, when you think about it, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., but then especially the three on defense, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. You have little to no obvious answers behind them. And I think that is what creates such strong leverage for those three individuals in regards to the Colts. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of a young player at another spot. But, um, you know, I, I, I know there are times on the roster. Well, I, I how about Marlon Mack to Jonathan Taylor? Yeah. You know, and I know Marlon Mack had the injury, but even if he did not, you had a young player that was a pretty obvious passing of the torch to. I don't see that anywhere. Maybe, maybe with Nick Cross at safety, but then again, if you're going to say that, I mean, it's not like Rodney Thomas II has entrenched himself as a guaranteed locked-in starter there. So, um, I remember saying in last week's podcast... You know, rank the three that is the easiest to replace. Who would it be? Would it be Grover? Would it be Kenny? Or would it be Julian? And it's probably Julian, but like all three of them, you could make strong cases for being that top. And I think it's a very difficult group to really separate. I think Taekwon Lewis falls in the second tier of free agents, Eddie, that's really important to bring back. He's versatile. How about him playing all 17 games? You know, he had only reached double-digit games in one of his, I think, five NFL seasons. Really important for him to play all 17. And if you break down the numbers, he was more disruptive than than, than Pay. And frankly, oh, yeah. it wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. Wasn't even close. Um, so I do think Tyquan Lewis is important to bring back. Again, we've talked about Kenny Moore. I, I go back to the Zaire Franklin quote. You know, I tell Kenny all the time, I don't know how it works without you. 
Um, Kenny has been a guy that's expressed a mutual interest in wanting to be back here. Uh, and again, there's just no one behind. I mean, hell, Tony Brown just got cut. I, I don't know if Chris Lamonts is the answer behind them. So, um, and I, I'm going to stick by Blackman. Blackman's a guy that I would bring back. I know safety is a position, Eddie, that you've gotten into before and found the one-year stop gaps in free agency. But he just makes me sleep better at night. And, and I get that you can find guys that can be a little bit stop gappy, a bit band aidy at that position. But man, he just makes me sleep better at night. And then, of course, in the back of my mind, I start thinking to myself, well, Kevin, you want to bring back Pittman. You want to bring back Go- Grover. You want to bring back Kenny. You want to bring back Julian. How much money you got? Mm-hmm. Oh, and Gardner's this, and Zach Moss could be that, and Tyquan Lewis could be that, and Rigoberto Sanchez deserves to be re-signed. I mean, like, how about Rigo? Zero. Zero touchbacks. 68 punts last year. Mm-hmm. Zero touchbacks. He actually had a career best in net punting average. I know he got off to a poor start, but I think he had a better year than people thought mm-hmm. um, when you look at it there. So, uh, anything on those free agents, Eddie? Because again, I think it is a notable group. I can talk myself into a lot of it, and I know that there will be market values that get assigned to guys, and you know we might get out of free agency and be like, oh boy, there's a need there if one of those big four walk. Um, and I am open-minded to listening to letting one of those four walk and obviously using that money elsewhere in free agency because at the same time you know I don't think all those positions are super premium that I just laid out there um, but it, it is easily the more the most uh, talk yourself into stand on a table that resign a lot of these guys that I can recall yes uh, when looking at the defense as a whole like when you look at the most sure tacklers on the Colts defense, number one, Zaire Franklin. Number two Kenny, is Kenny Moore for me. He's a guy that's not going to miss often in space. He's going to either make the tackle or he's going to slow the guy down and get uh, a tackle with somebody else. He, he plays so much bigger than his size. Yeah, and the same can be said for Julian Blackman. Right. Like You have to remember in those early games of his career against Tennessee, the Colts were really good against Derrick Henry and limiting Derrick Henry in large part because they brought Julian Blackman down a little bit from the safety spot, brought him closer to the line of scrimmage, and he was laying the wood on Derrick Henry and limiting the Titans in the run game. I think those two are very vital in that aspect because you have to think about the struggles the team had in total in tackling last year at times, especially down the stretch. And a large part of that was without Julian Blackman back there in the secondary. So I would put those two up there with Grover Stewart. But it will all be so, so, so fascinating because, like you talked about, You've got $70 million. You need to address some skill positions on the wide on the wide receiver tight end front because you don't know if you've got the guy in the tight end room or not, um, and you need to help supply Anthony Richardson. But at the same time, you've got some talented guys that you need to retain. So I do not want to be Chris Ballard, and I don't want to be the guy who has to run the cap and all the numbers for the Colts. I guess it is probably the most plan A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, that sort of offseason feel to it when free agency gets underway on the 13th of of March and again the Shane Steichen presence I think is really important to keep in mind as well on you know who does he like you know how does he kind of view free agency we saw you know whiteout wise you know he wanted a smaller more of a jittery bug type of component to his offense that is not something we had seen in the previous regime so uh, that is another element to it all uh, this is we all do? 
I was going to say, all this is on the website, 1075thefan.com. Yeah, we're going to have, I would say, pro- I try to keep it right around to a handful. Maybe, you know, probably four is probably a safer bet. About four articles a week up on the website to kind of keep the offseason thirst there for Colts fans. The uh, thirst. So we will continue to do that here. Again, none of it is super, super pressing right now, or I guess fresh news items. Um, but still, I, I, I do think there's some. Quality content up on the website. Obviously, I'm extremely biased. But yeah, you can check that out at 1075thefan.com. First round of mock drafts are starting to come out, so those will be fun conversations we have in the future. You ready for some Twitter questions? Let's do it. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. All right, only a handful or so to get to. Uh, let's start with Jason. Not to be insensitive, but if Jim Mersey is not in a condition to make business decisions, does that paralyze the Colts' activity during free agency? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think among the list of, you know, Ursay-related thoughts, um, this has probably got to be on it. Um, now, I do think this is the quietest January the organization has had in years. Now, there was a part of me, Eddie, that thought, okay, Gus Bradley's under contract. If you were to make a move, you know, would you need Jim Irsay's sign-off on that? You know, I, that would obviously be a significant financial hit. And, um, you know, I am of the belief that 90-some percent of the day-to-day decisions that get done organizationally right now get sign-off from Carly Irsay. I mean, she is in the building daily and She's running the show, and if I had to rank kind of the three daughters on who would get the most responsibility moving forward, I would say if for sure it's got to be Carly based off, again, how much of a presence she has. Um, but, you you know, I, I think from a fiscal frugal standpoint, you know, cash versus cap, I do think from an ownership standpoint – Jim Mercer's not a guy that's just going to throw out all this cash like a Stan Kroenke might up front, and that allows them to kind of manipulate the cap a little bit more. I would assume the daughters would fall in line to that sort of thinking, but that is a question that you have to be asked. And again, Eddie, that's kind of, I guess, the next big item that we're looking for is if you project out the offseason, really, at the Super Bowl, owners attend. So, you know, if you don't see Jim there, obviously that is of continued concern. You know, the Combine, I never really recall him having too much of a public presence at the Combine. Uh, The next big one would be the league meetings, and that's in about two months. Late March is when you have the league meetings, and that is when, if I'm not mistaken, I think the NFL would even come out and say, hey, for whatever reason, Jim Mercer is not able to be with us, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Carly Ursay Gordon is the one that is going to be doing the voting on behalf of the Indianapolis Colts. Something along those lines there. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I would think that it's not going to impact free agency too, too much. You know, not to act like you know every organization's the same, but I, I think there was an element of sign off from mm-hmm. Jim Merce. You know, wiggle room on what you can do cap wise, and you know, okay, this is the amount of cash we have. This is the amount, of, you know, the cap space we have. Make the puzzle fit into this. That's kind of the approach that I would assume he's been given to Mike Bloom, their cap guy, and, and Chris Bauer as well. Thank you. I couldn't remember his name when I was talking about being Mike the Bloom. cap guy. Yeah. yeah, good dude. Old Daner is next. Who has the final say on Gus Bradley between Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard? And if he has gone, who would be on your list to fill his spot? Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, and obviously this doesn't look like an item that's going to play out. I do find it interesting that I kind of came down to a half dozen person list, Eddie, when I thought about names because I didn't just want to say, "Hey, you got to look into removing Gus Bradley." I think you, there should be some names that kind of back that up. One of the names I had on the list is now the new DC in Jacksonville, and Ryan Nielsen. Um, he was with Atlanta last year on that staff. The Falcons had a pretty good defense for not having a super namey defense by any means, and now he's joining Doug Peterson's staff. Um, with that. I think the first question here is a good one. Who has final say on Gus Bradley between Steichen and Ballard? I would hope it's Steichen. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just one that's a big hierarchy person, but, you know, I view it as, you know, the head coach should have the responsibility of a coaching staff. I mean, they're the ones that deal with those guys the most on a daily basis. And um, ultimately, on game days, Chris Ballard's in the booth. You know, Shane Steichen's right there, two feet away from Gus mm-hmm. Bradley. So it should be Steichen. I think it's Steichen. To answer that question, and again, I, I go back to, I go back to the final Manning cast of the year, when you know Peyton saying to Bruce Arians, in regards to Todd Bowles of like, this is the defense I hated playing against. It's the defense that's exotic. It's the defense that's multiple. It's the defense that I come to the line of scrimmage, and I don't know what the hell I'm about to encounter. That's the defense that stresses you. You know, other other defensive coordinators that you know certainly crossed my mind. I thought about two head coaching candidates from last cycle. In week Martindale and Ajero Evero, and we'll see how you know those processes play out. You know, the rest of the way. Um, but those were a couple that I had thought of. Um, Denard Wilson in Baltimore was a guy that Shane had some overlap with. In Philly, there was another person that Shane had some overlap with that I was trying to think of. I jotted that down. I probably have to look through a couple of my notes there. Uh, but those were just a couple of the names that I saw. Honestly. And I know that some people might say it's a little Notre Dame bias with this, but you know Al Golden is a defensive coordinator for um, Marcus Freeman. He's been in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, was the linebackers coach? I want to say with Cincinnati when they won it or they got to the AFC title game. Uh, Notre Dame's defense has been very good under him. So he was somebody that I had thought of as well. Is that just because he's the Notre Dame guy? <laughs> that is not. That is not because of that. Uh, Chris Harris was the other one. The cornerback. Um, the f- former DB, um, but there was you know a rumor of him after Eberflus went to Chicago, uh, and then you know Brandon Staley had a great run with the Rams. You know, w- w- is he going to be you know kind of in line to go back into the coordinator pool and try to get a head coaching gig after that? You know, it, you, you kind of get into this of like Josh McDaniels, good offensive coordinator, not a good head coach. You know, are some of these guys mm-hmm. is Brandon Staley more of a coordinator? Then he is a head coach. So those were some of the names that I thought about. But yeah, it obviously looks like Gus Bradley is going to be back, and we'll see if there are any other you know defensive staff changes around him. 
So you're pretty organized over there with your notes? Try not, to be. You're not like a high schooler. You use one notebook for all your classes. You've got them all for different classes. I, I, I try to be organized. Binders, right? Yeah. Color specific for each classes. I get just a couple things Gus related. Cause I did post a story about a week ago on him, and I know we haven't had a podcast since then. Um, the consistent pressure I think is a big issue. Um, you know, if you look at last year, they were top 10 in sacks, you know, franchise record in sacks. But, you know, Eddie, they were 29th in hurry rate. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that blitzes the least of any in the NFL. So the consistent pressure, get me off my spot. All of a sudden, the seven on seven throw, the 11 on 11, hey, boom, three step drop out, five step drop out, seven step drop, read here, read there, boom. Disrupt that. If you disrupt that, you make quarterbacks play off platform. And some quarterbacks struggle with that. Um, I thought it was a bit tiresome to have, you know, Nico Collins go for a season high, Rashid Shaheed go for a season high, DeAndre Hopkins go for a season high, Puka Nakua, I think it was the second highest of any game this season, Devontae Adams, second highest of any game this season. That, to me, happens too often. I say this with the Pacers. You know, if you look at the Pacers right now, they're on a three-game losing streak. Jeremy Grant on Friday night goes for his second highest total of the season. So when you face Jeremy Grant this year, his second and third highest point totals of the year are against you. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant on Sunday, I think it was the second highest point total he had had up to that point of the season when he went off for 40 against you. It's take away the other team's top option to the point where you just make them average. To Grant and Durant's point, you know they've played, what, 30-some games this season. Make them have the 14th highest game they've had this season, or the 17th highest game they've had this season. You know, to those wideouts that I mentioned, they're good wideouts. You know, Pukunuku is a very good wideout. Pukunuku also had a lot of games this year where he only had 80 or 90 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's I'm not saying you should totally eliminate them and hold them to season lows. I'm not unrealistic with those expectations here, but create more of an average aspect, um, and and try and do that at a better rate. And I just the word continuity kind of rubs me the wrong way when I hear that as a as a big defense or a big backing mm-hmm. of someone. You know, I mean, in Shane Sykin's case, if Nick Sirianni believed in continuity, Shane Sykin would never have gotten a chance to call plays in Philly and wouldn't be here, right? In Indy, in all likelihood. So it's to me, it's a little cop out. I get that there's an element of like you want consistency, and that matters, but. Also, when things are not going well, consistency is not necessarily the recipe that has to be followed here. So, that was just a couple other Gus items that I put in story I wanted to make sure that I shared with our pod audience. Yim, apparently this upcoming draft is supposed to be deep at both wideout and cornerback, but not so much at edge. With that being said, do you think edge should be selected with the Colts' first pick in the following two rounds, should be wide out and corner, or do you think it's more of a best player available situation and they take whatever difference maker is there, even if it's not particularly a position of need? Thanks. Love the pod and tune in every week. So I, I am a very much a, and, and I do this exercise probably early April each year, you know, I'm a very much of a positional mock draft Um where are your needs most pressing? How does that match up with best player available? Marry those two things. I do think you know depth matters when you're breaking ties. Um, and both, I guess, are right there with me. If you're going to boil it down to, you know, wide out or corner or edge, 
Um, if you said to me, all right, Kevin Bowen, you have to rank them one, two, and three. You have to. What's the most pressing need? I would say edge rusher, wide out corner. Like if I had to rank them one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, scarcity at the position, I'm trying to put that to the side when I answer that first question. When I factor in scarcity, it's definitely edge rusher. To me, that's the hardest thing to find mm-hmm. out of those three. Um, and there is a little part of me at corner right now, Eddie, that says this. Should you let Juju Brents, Jalen Jones, and Dallas Flowers figure it out? At least the first two names on that list, I would say yes. The Achilles injury, I assume, for Dallas is yeah. where you have some risk in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's fair. And maybe you throw in one more name. You know, you, you go out there and make a little bit more of a cornerback splash than you did. Did a veteran. Year. Yeah. And for instance, so maybe you, you say, okay, here are four names, and those four can figure it out because two of those four will play, assuming you resign Kenny Moore. Two of those four will obviously be out there a lot, and, you know, inevitably an injury is going to happen. So you're going to have to rely on three of those four. But I kind of feel like I'm there at corner. I still think it's a need. But again, I, if I did a positional mock draft today, I would not have it round one and 15 overall. And the first positional mock or the first mock draft look that I did, I posted to the website. On Monday, there were several corner picks mm-hmm. at 15. And I looked at it and thought, man, it's just a hair rich for me, especially when you run a system that I don't think is like uberly reliant mm-hmm. on keeping your corners on islands. Oh, yeah. Um, now, we didn't see any edge rushers. I didn't love that. And, you know, obviously the uh, the the Brock Bowers debate, you know, could be one that we'll, we have a whole lot mm-hmm. here over the next few months of. Uh, several mock drafts had Bowers at 15. Now, I know Mel Kuyper, for example, I think had him going five. And so, you know, Daniel Daniel Jeremiah says he's getting a 15. Mel Kuyper says he's you know, gone at five. So, obviously, that will dictate a lot. But, yeah, how do you view tight end? Because I, I look at tight end a lot of ways, Eddie. Look at the final four teams and the tight ends they got. Studs. Mm-hmm. Sam Laporta, early second round. Travis Kelsey in the third round. Mark Andrews in the third round. George Kittle in the fifth. So, none of those guys were top 30 picks. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you had Dalton Kincaid as one of the eight yeah, finalists, too. With, with with Buffalo. Um, so, I look at that, and then I think, man, haven't the Colts kind of drafted a bunch of tight ends in that in that realm? I mean, if you look at the Colts' tight ends, Jelani Woods is a third-round pick. Kylan Granson is a fourth-rounder. Mm-hmm. Will Mallory is a fifth-rounder. Mm-hmm. Drew Ogletree is a sixth-rounder. They've drafted a lot of tight ends here as of late, and obviously the Ogletree thing off the field is going to have to play out. And Moai Cox technically is still under contract. Mm-hmm. Now you could save a little money if you parted ways, but you know I don't get I didn't get the vibe. I don't know if Ballard ever even mentioned tight end in the season ending presser a couple weeks ago. Mm-mm. So now when you say more explosive, Brock Bowers can give you that. Oh yeah. So I'm probably a little bit more of I'd be okay with taking him there, but I also can view tight end as, and again, labeling Bauer strictly as a tight end might be unfair, but I think you can view tight end in, in the spot of you can find answers on day two, even day three at that spot. Um, so that's going to be a fascinating one to see how the NFL views Bowers and see how the Colts even view him as well. But I would say the early returns on this draft, going back to Yem, is is probably pretty deep at wideout and, and even a little bit of corner as well. You know, pass rusher is much more of a question mark. Cold. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Fish, he's the first of three that we have left. I know you said you wouldn't pick up Quiddy Pay's fifth-year option, so it got me looking more into the cost. It would be about $14 million. The exact number that he gave was $13,856,000 for his fifth year, fully guaranteed, since he didn't meet the criteria for a higher salary. He's been a good run defender, but just an average pass rusher so far. He was very raw coming out of Michigan with great athleticism. I would be inclined to pick up his option as I still believe he can make gains over the next two seasons. Oof. Either way, we'll be interested to see what Ballard chooses. Thanks. $13.8 million, Eddie. That is the fifth-year team option for 2025 for Quiddy Pay. That is a big number. Could you convince somebody during draft time to trade for him and you get some sort of compensation and you use that to move up in the first round to get a guy that you love maybe? Boy, I, I don't You open up some cap space, next thing you know, you've got a little more room to yeah. sign somebody like a Brian Burns. I like I like a lot of the thought behind that. Um, I don't know what exactly fair compensation would be for pay. Yeah. And, and again, you got to go off some of Ballard's comments. I think Ballard's higher on pay than, than I am. Um, I think he really likes what he brings as a run defender. I'd rather see him in a prove-it contract year. Might it cost me a little bit of money on the end? Sure, but um, I, I'd rather see him have to play out that contract and prove it. $13.8 million on the books is a lot if he does not take the jump. Oh, yeah. That he, and again, we're now going on, you know, we're going on about six years of a little bit of the slobbering over the athletic testing traits and the sack production not being there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michigan and then now here in the NFL. And again, it's it's the consistent rushes for me. I brought up the Taekwon Lewis, for example, okay? Eddie, this past season, Quiddy Pay, eight tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits. Taekwon Lewis, nine tackles for loss, 13 quarterback hits. So very similar tackle for loss numbers. Taekwon Lewis with four more QB hits than Quiddy Pay. Uh, snap counts for the two. 700 for pay. 436 for Taekwon. And uh, did you list their sack numbers? Sacks are what? Eight and a half for Quiddy, four for Taekwon. Right. And, and I'd go tackles for loss, QB hits. Again, to me, it's more of the consistent disruption numbers. You mm-hmm. get into pressure stuff, you get into hurry stuff, those sorts of things. When you get a little bit deeper into those numbers, Dayo Dangbo certainly, he played a, a lot more snaps than Taekwon, but he had much you know, very similar numbers to Taekwon. More snaps, but not as many as Quiddy. Uh, again, there were moments late in the year where I didn't even see Quiddy on the field for some third down moments because I just don't think he had earned it, or other guys I should say probably have earned it yeah. more than him. So, um, I'd be willing to bet on it, and I guess the good news, Eddie, is this: you got to pick up that fifth-year option by what May third or May fifth. It's after the draft. I think it's that first week after the draft. So maybe if you get out of the draft and you haven't selected a guy early, maybe you pick that up. But 
IMA, you've got to earn the fifth-year option. That is I a agree. big deal. It's a big pay increase. Look at the $13.8 million and compare that to some other defensive ends, edge rushers. It's a notable number. And to me, he has not earned that. So, you know, might it bite me down the road a little bit? Uh, sure, but that obviously will be a good problem to run into and a good problem to have there with that. So uh, that's kind of how I view pay when it comes to Again, consistent pressures. If you sacks are the sack, and I it, we, I don't know. I think this, the, this audience that I'm talking to is a very intelligent audience. I don't think it's a group that just looks at sacks and thinks that's the end all be all. Eight and a half sacks is a nice number, certainly. But when you look at the consistent pressure, you're getting into the 70s, 80s, 90s, hundreds of defenders that had better consistent pressure rates than Quiddy Pay this past year. That would put him as the 20th. Edge rusher in terms of average salary per year at $13.86 million. And again, we're talking about a guy that right around, you know, I should probably double check and look at this, see if I can find it really, really quick. The um, more of the other press rate numbers from um, from Quiddy. Go ahead and ask the next question. I'll... Uh, and I'll try and find that. Some players around that $13.86 million that you're looking at right now, Josh Sweat of the Eagles, Demarcus Lawrence of the Cowboys, Cameron Jordan and Carl Granderson of the Saints, Preston Smith of the Packers, and Marcus Davenport for the Vikings. All of those players, $13 million. 78th in pressures for Quiddy last year, 185th in quarterback knockdowns. 33rd in sacks. Mm. So again, those consistent pressure numbers. That's what I'll keep on coming back to with that. And Dio and Taekwon, outstanding. Not to mention there's the development of Addy Tamiwa Adabari as well to look out for. I know he I think he's a little more interior. Yeah, than, probably. Than Quiddy, but again, finding the bending bending edge still a need. Two questions left, Chris. I always thought Danny Pinter has played well at center in previous years. I've thought he's been subpar at guard, but I always thought he looked good at center. I'm not certainly an expert and was wondering what your thoughts about Pinter are. Yeah, I, again, I would. I should probably turn on my mic. Um, I would bring him back. Um, cheap, Muhort, Taekwon, one-year deal, uh, nice insurance policy. Uh, you know, I also think kind of fifth and sixth round, Eddie, probably makes sense to go a little bit interior as well. You know, when you get in that day three, some positions that kind of stand out to me, you know, it's probably time to draft a linebacker. You know, just tap into the Chris Boward guarantee of finding a successful linebacker that he's done so well of over the years. Um, And then also, can you get a little bit into uh, that interior line, you know, backup quarterback, those sorts of things as well. Final Twitter question comes from Wake Spike. Should we feel better? About or more terrified after seeing the Browns being dismantled in the wild card round? I'm guessing this is in reference to the Texans. Yeah. And possibly being in that opportunity. You know, I, I hate to get into one game overreactions. Um, I think you kind of laid out leading into the Texans game and after it just how big of a bummer it was to have the missed opportunity of a home playoff game of a Cleveland team that obviously has had plenty of ups and downs and. You know, I would say watching Houston in the season finale, watching them in their first playoff game, you are reminded of this. 1-53, to I think the Colts probably have the deeper roster. 
probably have the more talented roster. Yep. Where Houston separates themselves, though, is they have the premium positions figured out. Yep. Largely figured out. And the Colts right now, they did take a step forward in this this past season, but they don't. And they haven't been there in the Chris Boward era. Whether you look at C.J. Stroud at quarterback, or Nico Collins at wideout, or Laramie Tunsil at left tackle, or Will Anderson Jr. at defensive end, or Derek Stingley Jr. at corner, mm-hmm. they can really check all of those boxes. And a lot of it is youth, man. Oh, yeah. And there is, I mean, what, everybody's under 25 besides mm-hmm. Tunsil? Mm-hmm. So that is super encouraging if you are a Texans fan. Now, they still need to support, and they still need to, obviously— you know, they, they made a huge trade in the draft, and, you know, the Bobby Sloak. Right now, Colts fans should be cheering for Bobby Sloak to go get a head coaching gig. <laughs> because, again, the lack of stability there, you know, does that impact C.J. Stroud at all moving forward? Whereas when the Jim Bob Cooter rumor was out there about him to Philly, I really didn't pay much attention to it, Eddie, because, and this is unfair to Jim Bob Cooter, but I kind of thought about, who cares? They got Steichen. Yeah. Like, the, you're not as worried here in this market because you have that guy in place and you know he's not going anywhere mm-hmm. unlike Houston where they could be playing that song and dance for years to come Yeah, if Stroud continues to perform at that level so you know to me if you just want to boil it down to Texans slash Colts it honestly was a reminder of kind of the age old Ballard question there are a lot of good and talented players on Chris Ballard rosters a lot of them he's drafted some very good football players but all 22 positions were not created the same no. And that's what you've ran into here where Houston has had more of an emphasis on it and they've obviously had some very high draft picks to get those players and then made a huge trade to get Anderson. But, um, you know, Nico Collins is a third round find is huge for him. And again, I said the Colts have taken steps in the right direction because they, in my opinion, have got a third round find on their end in Bernard Ryman yeah. at left tackle. I think that is an answer. So that is very, very important for this franchise to make sure that you continue to try and find that and continue to invest in those those positions. Might get a lot of hate or mean tweets for this, but um, you know who C.J. Stroud reminds me of? Who is that? 12. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I could see that. Just the smoothness. Mm-hmm. Boy, he's a smooth operator. Delivering from the pocket. Yeah, poise. Everything is just yeah. on target. He hardly makes mistakes. Um, the only major difference, Stroud doesn't put himself in compromised positions outside the pocket. Yeah, Stroud is, um, boy, Stroud gets it. He just gets it. Oh, yeah. And to be in that moment, and whether it was the throw to Nico to start the game, or certainly the plays on that second-to-last drive, and um, he is a special talent. And, and he got rocked early last season. And about you know six sacks Baltimore week one. I think Colts had six in week two, and the big hit number and to bounce back from that, and you know have the injuries that he had and those around him had as well. All the O line issues that they had in front of him. Um, yeah, I, I've joked before. The AFC South is the true TV of quarterback divisions. It, it's no longer that, and just in general, quarterbacks in the AFC, Eddie. I mean, right here in our little bubble. When's the last time? You've had every organization feel like the head coach and quarterback is somewhat solved. Oh, boy. And again, it's varying degrees of it. I'm not saying all of them should feel as comfortable as they do. Ever? But D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud, Shane Syke and Anthony Richardson, Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, you know Brian Callahan and Will Levis. Obviously, that would be fourth on the list, but still, they've attempted to create you know, their own Steichen situation there. 
Um, the division is on the right path. Yeah. And obviously the Colts are as well. But then again, this conference. I mean, you didn't have you had Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, and Herbert watching the playoffs. Yeah. Do you think those are three dudes that are going to be consistent playoff type QBs moving forward? Mm-hmm. At least two of the three? I mean, like, yeah. So um, it, it is a golden era of AFC quarterback depth. And Deshaun Watson watching as well. I know he didn't play well at all last year. but Right, but their team made it. I, yeah. Yeah, I was basically saying QBs and teams that didn't make it. I know some could say Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Obviously, he's not on the youth meter that some of the others are. But uh, it's quite the time to be an AFC AFC fan, AFC South fan, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Eddie Garrison, have a great week, brother. Who you got in the conference championship games? Ooh, the heart is saying let's go fighting Dan Campbell's. Is Debo playing? I don't know. Have you seen the Debo numbers with or without him? Oh, it's it's staggering. He suffered that hairline fracture in a game. They scored 17. They scored 17 each of the next two weeks without him. And uh-huh. if you look at with him in the lineup, it's like 30 or 40 falling out of bed seemingly I, every week. I bet Green Bay to win as soon as Debo went out. I, I think that was a smart, obviously he didn't win it, but I totally get why. You would have done that. Um, I bought Joe Barry. I want to go Lions and Ravens, but my head says 49ers and Chiefs. A few weeks ago, I bet Ravens to beat 49ers in the Super Bowl. wasn't like great odds, but you know you can do the matchup and the win. So Was this to make up for the Dallas Cowboys? This was to make up for the Cowboys. And the Raiders from last year. I wanted to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Next year, next year. I had Jets this year along with the Cowboys, by the way, in case anyone forgot on that end. I'll go Lions-Ravens. I'm sticking with my preseason prediction that you asked me for. Baltimore-San Francisco. And I told you then Baltimore was going to win the Super Bowl. I should have placed money on it. You know, think about Baltimore. It's like, what are they going to look like with Mark Andrews? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's been the most consistent mm-hmm. target guy. I do think a couple things to note on these championship games. The Lions have allowed a bunch of random quarterbacks to torch them lately. And they've struggled in Jared Goff era in outdoor stadiums. Now going on the road, you know, it can, no. when does that, does that emotional just, it seems like they're on just such an emotional ride. Does that end it all for them? Now, again, I think the Debo injury is huge. And then you flip over to Baltimore. It's amazing to me. I saw a stat where Baltimore entering the playoffs, they had beat, I think, 11 of their wins had been over teams with better than 500 record. Yeah. Most in the history of the NFL. And they've led every game in the final two minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing what they've been like. and That defense, I don't think, has rightfully deserved the credit that it should be sure. given. And, and it's again, been can they play, absolutely dominating. Can they play the keep-away game a little bit better than Buffalo did? I think they can. Um, so, yeah, again, I'll go Detroit-Baltimore, but I certainly hear you out on that end. Cannot wait for it. Hopefully we get two good ones leading in to the Super Bowl. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. We'll be back next week with another edition of Kevin's Corner. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.